Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is podcast 316. Last podcast, I introduced to you the city of Corinth, its locale where it is located on the isthmus between the Aegean and the Adriatic or Ionian Seas. We talked about the canal, about a four-mile canal that's about 70 feet wide today. It was not there during the days of the Apostle Paul and of the New Testament era. And so remember, I talked to you about somewhat of a railway system, although it was very primitive, but effective and efficient. That would unladen the ships and would allow the cargo to be crated across first of that four miles. And then the ship itself would be pulled across these tracks, so to speak, from Kincrea, Sincrea, over to Corinth, to this beautiful harbor there at Corinth. It became really a cosmopolitan city in every sense of the word, a worldly city. What I want us to do over the course of the next few days is just look at how the context and the culture of that day affected this church and even Paul's writing to it and the message that he preached, the message that he emphasized. He preached the same message everywhere, but he had a different emphasis in certain places. And uh, quite honestly, we're going to see later this week that some of his emphasis, at least one of them, did not work. It did not work as far as converting the soul. And so he learned a great lesson before he came to Corinth. And so I want you to stay tuned because I think you're going to see the power of the gospel revealed over debate, argumentation, and what would have been classic apologetics in that realm. I don't want anybody to start throwing rocks at me. Just come back and listen because it's very important because the context Context, as I have taught in hermeneutics classes and in the institutes that I have started uh, around the country to help men understand the Word of God, to read the Word of God effectively, to understand it, to use a good hermeneutical principle and principles in order to get the right angle on the truth, because the truth of God remains. It's a matter of us digging it out. And some of it is on the surface, very plain and open. Others of it, it takes mining. David said he searched like he was searching for silver and gold, like rubies and diamonds and for great treasures, because indeed the word of God is greater than any of the treasures that I just mentioned. But I want you to see in just a couple of passages this week how this affects where the Apostle Paul was ministering and serving, because definitely every culture in every city is not the same and every country is not the same. But what we've had a tendency to do is have one rifle approach or one shotgun approach in some instances. But even the Apostle Paul said that we speak to the Greeks differently than we do to the Jews. The Apostle Paul knew that the Jews needed a supernatural sign because they were used to a supernatural God and God's intervening in human history. And that's what he did many times. And so the Bible says that the Jews seek after a sign, a supernatural 
natural sign that God is in that. I personally believe that's why we had the threefold supernatural phenomenon that accompanied the great miracle of Pentecost when the Spirit of God come to live permanently in the life of every follower of Jesus the Messiah. So you had these supernatural manifestations to indeed validate that this was from God. But he said the Greeks seek after logic. They seek after wisdom. They want everything analyzed. Now, most of our American culture is based upon a European or a Greek model, a Roman model, a European model, where we want everything analyzed before us. And from that has come the logical Roman road where we take people and analytically through something, but what we have done is we have replaced knowledge and understanding for faith in many instances, because I know many presentations of the gospel, one of the largest denominations in the world, the largest Protestant denomination in the United States, Southern Baptist did this for years, because I know, because I trained many to do it. And that is, after a presentation, they said, does this make sense to you? In other words, is this logical to you? Well, yes. Well, is there any reason why you uh, wouldn't want to receive Jesus? Well, there's no logical reason. Well, would you pray this prayer with me? Yes. Well, yes, if that's what I need. Well, yes, you just need to pray this prayer. And then we would pray a prayer with them and lead them in a prayer sometimes. And then we would say amen. We'd look at them and say, did you pray that prayer? Yes. Did you mean it? Well, yes. Best good. Well, welcome to the family of God. That was it. But in many instances, they just believed the intellectual truths of what had been presented, but there was no saving faith to accompany that knowledge. And therefore, we have a church population, many who are lost. They've never experienced the grace of God that is brought about through true repentance and the sorrowfulness for sin, turning from their own self-effort and their own knowledge base and really turn to God with everything that's within them. Am I saying you don't need to have knowledge? No, absolutely you do need to have knowledge, but we're not saved by knowledge. We're saved by trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we have him presented to us. But it's not just intellectual assent. It is not just being cognizant and aware of the truth and even giving assent to it and uh, and agreeing with it. That's not enough to save a man. That's not enough to save a woman. It's not enough to save anybody because you can have a boatload of knowledge and be lost as a ball in high weeds. You cannot know God from a bookshelf. And what I'm telling you is that there has to come a time in our lives to where there's an experience to where we, by God's grace, put our trust and our faith in Jesus alone as God of the universe, as the God who died and made a sacrifice for our sins. You see, there has to be an element of understanding, yes, that he is the substitute, and then you have to allow him to be that substitute so that he can reckon that substitutionary death for us on our account in heaven. This is uh, not light stuff. And you say, well, a child can understand. Well, a child can understand many times and give assent to something. But we've overplayed those verses very much because many times I've talked with children and they think that Jesus comes into your physical heart in the blood pumper. About 90% that I've talked to under 9 or 10 years old believe that. So we've got to be careful about this because up until that age, a child uh, thinks uh, concretely and they 
concretize everything. But that's not how we're saved. We are saved by giving our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. As he draws us to him, we say yes to him. And God does that. Now, the reason I'm telling you this is because the Corinthians were filled with knowledge. And Paul knew this, and so he approached them, even in the Christian life, he approached them differently than he did many others. For instance, the illustration that he uses in chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians when he was writing to them about discipline in their life because they were an undisciplined crew. They were an undisciplined church. They were not walking in a disciplined manner. And discipline has just about left the Christian vocabulary in America in this century. And so he says in chapter 9 and verse 20, 24, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain. Now, everyone there at Corinth knew about running and about the games and about the Olympics. The reason is because in between those Olympic games every four years, two years after the Olympic games were finished, the Ismanian games, which were only second to the Olympics anywhere in the Greek world, took place. And it was right near Corinth. So Corinth was a very flesh oriented, body oriented kind of place. So much so was the body put forth as the God, as the model of what we all should strive to be, that the entire city was known for fornication and the flesh and domination of the body and of the flesh. So much so that in the ancient world, to Corinthianize someone was to cause them to be a fornicator. The two words, fornication, and lasciviousness and all of those words, uh, sensuality, they were synonymous with the word Corinth, to Corinthianize someone. And so this was a wicked place that Paul went into, so it took bold preaching, and we'll get into that tomorrow. But I want you to understand that for those who were followers of Jesus, they were called upon to discipline their bodies in the same way that Natalie did. So he said, for everyone who competes for the prize is disciplined, is temperate in all things. And listen, they do it to obtain a a perishable crown. Now, the word there for crown is Stephanon. Stephanon, where we get our word Stephen, S-T-E-P-H-A-N or E-N, depending on how you want to spell it. Stephanie is the girl's, the female name for crown. But this is a crown as in a victor's crown, not a diadema, which is a crown a king would wear or a queen would wear. Not a diadema, but a, a Stephanos, a Stephanon in this case. He said they do it for a perishable crown. You see, they would do all the discipline, all of the exercise. They would eat all of this special diet, everything, so that they could compete in a race, so that they could win a crown that was usually made of oak leaves woven together or laurel. And uh, within a week, it was brown and faded and brittle and would break and would become tender for fire. Paul said they do all of that in discipline for something that's just going to fade away in a very short time. But he said in the same verse, but we for an imperishable crown, one that will not fade away. Therefore, I run thus not as with uncertainty. In other words, I'm not doing what I'm doing for Jesus just because I'm flailing around. Thus, I find not as one who beats the air. He said, I'm not just shadow boxing. I have a real purpose. 
You see, Jesus gives us a purpose. The Lord Jesus made us on purpose, with purpose, for a purpose. And we need to find out what that purpose in life is and get on with it. And God teaches us that in the Word. But he said, I discipline my body. I bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself become disqualified. And that's interesting. In verse 27, the word is hoop. That's hoop. They, you know, like hoopo, like under. And op or ope in this case, it has a uh, omicron. But many times this same word is used op as in optical, optos. So the word is op-iazo, op-iazo more correctly. And it is the word for eyes or eye. That means under the eye. It means to strike someone under the eye. This was the word for giving someone a black eye. And what Paul said is, I give my body, I discipline my body, I give my body a black eye, I bring it into subjection and say, don't you try to get out of line again, I'll black your eye again. Lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified, disapproved. I would be disqualified, I I wouldn't be able to run the race. You see, there are guidelines, there are parameters in our race with God. Not our race against God, but our race with Him. God is pulling us along. We are running with Him. We're not just running for God. We're running with Him. He's right there with us because He has given us the race, and He's encouraging us along the way by the Spirit of God who lives in us and by the ministering angels that are there to help us to stay safe and stay within the parameters that God has laid out. It is a fascinating concept and an analogy and metaphor that Paul uses here as he reminds these Corinthians what they're very familiar with, what they would have known. You see, it's one thing to go into a rural setting and talk about city things. Most people don't know what that is. Go into a city and start talking about country things. People don't know what that is. When I went to San Diego to pastor years ago, I grew up on a farm. I'm I'm talking about a farm that we worked and, and had animals and we had gardens and crops and all of those kinds of things. And that's how we got our cash was raising tobacco. We called it backer at that time. What I'm saying to you is my congregation, the congregation that God had given me was staring at me one day, looking perplexed. And I said unto them, well, you're looking at me as a calf would look at a new gate. Well, they turned their head even more strangely and more perplexed at the idiom that I had used, a calf looking at a new gate. And I realized, oh, no, most of these people have never seen a real calf. They certainly never uh, looked at one long enough to see how they react to uh, fixing a fence that they're used to or something new to them. So I temporarily went insane even more so and said, what I mean is you're looking at me like a deer in a headlight. Well, they looked again odd, and so I said, you look perplexed. And they went, oh, oh, okay. And so what I'm saying is you have to know your audience. Well, Paul knew his audience, and the context of any book will help us to get the color and the nuances and the shades of meaning that he wants us to get. And so the Apostle Paul knew of these Ismanian games, so he used language that all of them knew about, and you could just see the light bulbs going on. But he said, look, 
We have to have discipline. We have to discipline our bodies. And we have to discipline our hearts. We have to discipline our minds. In the second letter to the Corinthians, he used this same kind of metaphor and analogy when he talked about bringing every thought into captivity and making sure that we are able to discipline not only our bodies, but discipline our minds as well. Well, I hope that this is a blessing to you as you begin to look at Corinth, because next time when we meet together, I believe it's going to be a real challenge to all of us to really look at what we're preaching, how we're preaching, and uh, maybe examine the direction that we're going in our pulpits across America. God bless you. Thank you for joining me today. For On The Way, this is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On The Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.